You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. All right. Uh, well, good morning again and welcome as we gather together for worship. Uh, if you're joining on live stream and you're new, my name is Brian. I serve as the pastor for Citrus and glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, as we get started, we're taking a break from our sermon series that we just did. And before we get into another one, I thought I'd take a week and just kind of share something that was just on my heart and in my soul as we've gone through last year and this year. And one of the things I've thought a lot about, as you can see on the screen, is just the faithfulness of God. And my hunch is that we could go around and share stories about the challenges and the difficulties of this year. And my hope would be at the same time that we could go around and share some stories about the faithfulness of God over the last year. Places where we've seen God show up and what that means. So I really wanted to take some time today and just look at Scripture and talk about what it means to live in the faithfulness of God and what that means for God and what that means for us and what that means for the world. Uh, so to get started this morning, I want to share about a, an experience I had at Publix recently. Um, I think Publix is, is the source of many of my sermon illustrations, and so I'm thankful to them. This is not a sponsor plug. We make nothing off of that, though that wouldn't be the worst idea ever. Um, but the other day, uh, this past week, Melanie had texted me, and she said, hey, on the way home from work, will you stop by and pick up some bread from Publix? And I think my response back was, is there anything else that we need from Publix? And, uh, you know, do we just want to switch gears and do Publix subs for dinner? <laughs> she said, no, just the bread is fine. <laughs> I said, okay. So on, on the way home, I, I stopped by Publix, and I went in there. Uh, I knew exactly where the bread was that I needed. I grabbed it, and I was trying to make this as fast as possible. So I grabbed the bread, and I made my way towards the checkout. And as I came out of the aisle, I noticed that, that there were only three lanes open that day, which, which was odd. Uh, and then I noticed that all the lanes were, were backed up into the aisles. And I think part of that is just because, you know, if we've got, if we've got six feet between myself and the person in front of me, then it's, there's only a few spots before you're back in the aisle. And so I thought, well, it is what it is. There's only three lanes. So I had one item. So I just jumped in the 10-item the or less aisle. But to get there, I had to actually walk back up that aisle and get in line. And there was probably, there was probably five people in front of me. And I did what I know that most of you do too, which is I, I engaged my brain in this super complicated uh, formula of beginning to calculate the number of items in each person's cart around me multiplying that uh, out and dividing it out and figuring out who had the most items, which cashier is running the fastest. And I've got this kind of quantum physics and mechanics happening here where, where I'm figuring out the best way to go. And I, I basically realized that there was no good option this day. There's only three lines. I'm sure they were short-staffed and all the cashiers were doing their best. And so it was really just a matter of staying where I was and being there. And the line moved up, and so at this point, there's only three people in front of me, and there's a good line behind me, and out of nowhere, a cashier comes over and just says, I'm going to go ahead and take you and the people behind you to this new lane. This new lane. Uh, this is great. So, so I went over, and, and it, it was so fast, I basically handed the loaf of bread to the cashier. I never really even stopped walking. I kind of used like the mobile pay on my phone. I, I grabbed the bread. And then I just continued on my way back out without even stopping. And as I, as I walked out, there's the cynical side of me. I did turn and I did look back at my original lane. And I noticed that I still would not have checked out in that lane. And so I kind of patted myself on the back and went about my day. And as I thought about that particular uh, encounter, as I prepared this message, 
it was a reminder to me that, that life is not as simple as a public checkout, right? I realize that. I know that. I know that public checkout is one thing. Getting through life quickly and efficiently is another thing. But it was a reminder to me that there is something to be said for staying on track and staying in the lane you were in. Some of the people who jumped out in front of me to get other lanes who factored things differently were still waiting. And it was a reminder to me that it, maybe not... A, that at least at Publix, that staying in the lane was a good thing that day. But in my walk with God and in following Jesus, there's something to be said for an everyday faithfulness of continuing to stay in the path that we're in. Now, as I said, that's a very complex idea, but it reminded me of that. The, the, the second lesson that I learned was that there's never a bad time for public subs. Um, so that's that's a free one. You're welcome to use that one today if you'd like. Um, so I want to dig deeper into that idea, not the public subs idea, but I want to dig deeper into the idea of what does it look like for us to stay in the same line of faithfulness through our life? And what benefit does that give to us as followers of Jesus? And so to do that, I'd like to look at a story from the Bible uh, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the background to this story is that this is one that you're familiar with. It's kind of just before Jesus' birth. It's in Luke. And Zechariah and Elizabeth become the parents of John the Baptist. Now, I've always wished that we had a kind of a someone, the Methodist, in the Bible, but it seems like only the Baptists got that one. So they're the parents of John the Baptist, and of course, this is before Jesus is born, and they have a miraculous encounter where they become the parents, and they become in the lineage of this amazing thing that God is doing. But what I hope that you'll see is that they were really doing nothing extraordinary besides just staying in the path that God had given to them and trying to live faithfully, faithfully. So uh, let's take a look this morning at Luke chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. So uh, let me take us to that. It says, during the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. And they were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commands and regulations. This speaks to their faithfulness. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they, had both, they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. And so what this does here is this just basically sets the stage for what is to come, but gives us a little bit of background of who Elizabeth and Zechariah were, because they probably weren't the most well-known people in that time. But already, we wouldn't recognize this, but the, the Hebrew readers and those early Gentiles, they would have caught this probably at the beginning of this story, is that they would have heard Zechariah's name, and they would have remembered uh, the prophet, the book named Zechariah, and they might have remembered that the word, the name Zechariah in Hebrew means the one whom God remembered. The one whom God remembered. And so already we can see that God is up to something in this, and God might just be up to something in Zechariah's life. 
Perhaps you felt like Zachariah and Elizabeth in your life. There's a couple of ways that I can see in their life. They may have felt like those who were overlooked in their life. It tells us in the scripture that they were unable to have children. And in that time and in that place, it was a different way that the culture happened back then. For example, in their culture at that time, it was an honor and shame-based culture. Now, we live in a, in a guilt versus innocence type culture where we know this. It's natural to us. You're guilty, you're innocent. This is kind of the way that we see the world in very nuanced ways. The way they understood the world was uh, an honor and shame. You, you, you could bring honor to yourself, to your family, and to God, or your actions could bring shame to yourself or to your family or to God. And while maybe somewhat different, this was an important piece because there were certain kind of markers in life, like we have markers in life, that would indicate if you're progressing along that path well or not. And one of the ones that was outside Elizabeth and Zachariah's control was their ability to have children. But not being able to have children, as hard as this is for us to kind of embrace and fathom in this day of age, that would have been a mark of shame on their family, kind of one in the negative column for them. And so I wonder if perhaps they may have felt overlooked in their life as they kind of reach towards what the Bible tells us is old age. And said, well, gosh, we kind of got this mark against us. I also wonder if they felt like they were out of time. The scriptures tell us that they were already old at this point when this story is happening. And we kind of get the the idea that if, if life is like a spectrum, that they were already kind of leaning into some of their final years. And they were at least into the part, as Elizabeth says later, that they were well beyond their childbearing years. And then I wonder if perhaps we felt like they do in terms of maybe that they, that they just might have felt forgotten in some way, shape, or form. You see, they were everyday, ordinary people. Uh, and maybe you think, well, I don't know, Zachariah was a priest. Isn't that a big deal? And It is. It was a good job. It was an honorable job. It was a job that came from his family lineage and from that history. But Zachariah wasn't a high priest. We don't have any indication that he was anything kind of rank-wise more than others. He was a priest among priests, one among many. Uh, And it just really happened that it was by chance that he happened to be the one serving in the temple that day. Uh, For the priests in the service, they, they would basically do a lottery, as the scripture tells us, and they would choose two priests from the multitude of priests each day. And there'd be one for the morning and one for the evening. And it just so happens, by coincidence, that Zachariah's lot came up that day, and so he was on duty to serve. We might look at that and say it could have been anyone that day who found themselves there. So maybe it seems like happy coincidence that Zachariah was the priest on duty that day. I want to invite us to see it a little bit differently this morning and to see that it wasn't maybe just coincidence, but that perhaps it was some of the things that Zachariah and Elizabeth had done in their life and some of their pattern of faithfulness that brought them to that place where they were that day. Verse 6 tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God, were blameless in their observances of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. And back then, if you were going to define a textbook definition of, of faithfulness as a follower of God, it would basically be this. We have no indication at all that there's anything that they had done that ever had taken them out of that. They were just two faithful, hardworking, 
everyday people who are continuing to walk one foot in front of the other in God's faithfulness, even though, even though not everything in their life had always worked out how they wanted it or how they had wished it to be. I see these as two people who live faithfully in the little everyday things. And this practice, I believe, is what catapulted them into the place where we might see it as coincidence that Zechariah happened to draw the lot in the temple that day. But what we see here is that God was already working behind the scenes. And whether Zechariah remembered that his name was the one whom God remembered or not that day, God remembered Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so they were the ones that God visited in the temple that day. So I want to invite you to hear the rest of the story and how it progresses, uh, beginning in verse 11. So remember, Zechariah is in the temple and he's burned incense, and this is something he'd always done for a long time, and it was probably pretty routine. And then, an angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. And he will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. And he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, that when I, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time, but because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. So to me, before we can go too much further down the road about what it means for us to be faithful, it's important for us to look at what it means for God to be faithful. Because after all, that's the pattern that we're modeling all this after. Uh, I said at the beginning of worship today that our call to worship was from Psalm 136, and you all joined your voice in the people part and basically said the same thing over and over again. His love endures forever. And I think that this is a statement that we make that is, it's more than just a sentiment about God's feelings or emotions. When we say that God is faithful, it's a declaration of what is true and accepted and known. It doesn't really depend on how God is feeling and how God's day goes. If it's a day like today that's bright and sunny, or if it's a day like yesterday that was kind of gray and gloomy, It's not kind of an up-and-down fluctuation. When we talk about God's faithfulness, we're talking about something that is constant and remains and has remained. And a reminder that the promises that God made have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, or will be fulfilled in the period of history at some point in time. In the Old Testament, they had this word, uh, it was God's covenant faithfulness. right? A, A covenant, it's not a direct correlation to a contract, but this idea that God was 
covenanted in a relationship with God's people to be faithful. Another way to say it was that God was in covenant and was loyal to God's people. Loyalty and faithfulness. And this, is, this formal agreement was actually formalized. There was a piece in the Old Testament that we're not going to read today, but where there's actually kind of a, a signing ceremony where God makes the promises and then Israel accepts those promises and makes their own. And there's a, a formalizing of the covenant in the Old Testament to say each side will do their part. And, and most of the story of the Old Testament, which is most of our Bible, is a story of God keeping the promises and the people of Israel not keeping their promises. There's a couple of highlights and some good moments where where they get it and they get back on track. But what I've noticed is that just because God's people don't keep their promises or they or they mess up or they they forget about it or they move on, God's promises remain true to Israel all throughout the Old Testament. That's the common theme and the common thread. The theologian Thomas Oden puts it this way: God's faithfulness is steady a reliable application of divine truth in a changing and developing historical circumstance. God's faithfulness is steady and reliable in a changing and developing world that we live in today. And I think Zechariah and Elizabeth become prime examples of this because they really represent Israel as a whole. So if you think about their responses in this, we can see the responses of Israel. So on one hand, you see Zechariah, who, when presented with this amazing news of this new covenant, this promise that God is making to say, you're gonna, your, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. And he's thinking like, don't forget, I'm old and she's old. And we've kind of passed that mark, by the way. And I like how Gabriel says, like, I stand in God's presence, as almost as to say, do you stand in God's presence? I do. And so Zechariah's response is one of the common responses we see in the Old Testament, where the promises of God are made to the people, but they just don't believe it, or they can't believe it, or it just seems unfathomable. And so their response becomes disbelief. And Elizabeth, on the other hand, her response when she hears the news, which we haven't looked at, is that she believes it. She knows better than Zechariah what is capable and possible, but her response is to believe the promises of God and to believe God's faithfulness will come to pass. And there are times in Israel's history where they do believe and they do hope for something better than what is. And so in these, we see not only how the people of God have responded, but I think this is true for me and for you and for our world, that there are times where we believe and we're ready to to go forward with God in something that we just can't fathom. And there are times where we're like, "Ah, I don't know, God. Like, you may not understand the factors and circumstances in my life, right? Or the, the limitations that are upon me that are not even mine, but are placed by others or by the world or by age. Here's what I love the most about this, and this is the good news piece, is that God's response is not changed. It is not changed by Zechariah's disbelief, and it is not changed by Elizabeth's belief. Neither of those two circumstances change the plan that God is going to do. And I think that's good news for us because it reminds us that, yes, God is consistent and faithful despite our ups and downs and our responses. That God has not changed and the plan goes ahead. And this is what I love. The plan goes ahead with them. 
It's not just Elizabeth who gets to experience the promise because she believed, but Zechariah too. I mean, granted, he doesn't get to talk for a long period of time, but don't worry, he gets to talk again. But there's this piece that I love that the plan moves forward with them despite their response. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope for what God can do with me and in this world. What I see here is that the faithfulness of God is the truth that God is trustworthy and loyal. Even when, like Zechariah, we just can't understand or fathom what is happening, or like Elizabeth, when we can muster up the courage to believe that something could be different. The faithfulness of God is true. And that God has an unwavering commitment to God's people throughout history. And so I want to mention, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about what faithfulness doesn't accomplish for us, right? Um, Because just because I walk in faithfulness with God doesn't mean that every time I show up to Publix to pick up bread, I'm the one who has favor and I get selected to go in the line before me. And it doesn't necessarily say that the person who was in front of me that day is unfaithful, right? It's, it's possible for us to begin to see these things, and this is where the church can go down some, some really odd rabbit trails of, of God's favor putting us in front of others. What the invitation is for us to do is not to see faithfulness to God as a means to an end. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, faithfulness doesn't mean that everything goes right for us. Obviously, for Elizabeth and for Zechariah, they had wanted and desired a child, and it didn't happen for them. And I mentioned that because of that, they were kind of placed maybe more on the shame side of the category uh, than the honor side in their society. I'm reminded, of course, that they battled infertility, as we would put it today. And that when the angel shows up, maybe you caught this too, the angel says to Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. And I like that because, for one, we don't know what Zechariah has been praying about. But the promise that's made to them is that they will give birth to a child. And so it seems to me that their prayer had been that they would have a child. And it's up to us to begin to imagine, were they continuing to pray that prayer in their old age? Had Elizabeth continued that prayer? Had Zechariah stopped? What were the circumstances around it? Perhaps they had stopped praying that prayer a long, long time ago, and just said, I don't think this thing's ever going to happen. And what if it had been years or even a couple of decades, and now they're hearing your prayers have been answered, and all of a sudden, Zechariah's name is a reminder of God's faithfulness, the one who remembers, the one who is remembered. I find a lot, of, a lot of encouragement knowing that many of the prayers that I've already prayed have long been forgotten by me, and yet God knows every single prayer that you and I have ever prayed, and that none of those are ever lost or forgotten, even if we have stopped praying or have forgotten some of those prayers. And it's all because of God's faithfulness. So the point here is that faithfulness isn't a means to an end. And that I think about our kids, and I realize that my kids will do a lot of things for the sake of a prize, right? The the promise of a prize will motivate my children to do almost anything that we need them to do, almost anything. Sometimes it's not enough. And I think, oh, kids, 
And then I realized that the promise of a prize motivates me to do a lot of things that I still do in life. It's just not a transformer, right? The, the idea of a promotion or maybe a raise or, or maybe a different house or, or different circumstances or different status, those things still motivate us as, as adults, right? And in terms of faithfulness, it's not about doing the right thing so that we can get something from God. And it's okay if sometimes we feel like we're doing that. It's just a reminder for ourselves to remind ourselves that that's not the reason we're doing this. The goal is not what we can get from God. Really, quite simply, the goal of our faithfulness is the relationship with God. If I could put it more simply, the goal is God. The point of faithfulness is God. It's just being in God's presence and knowing that we are the one whom God remembers, that we are not forgotten, that our prayers have been heard, even if they haven't yet been answered. And so when faithfulness itself becomes about getting something or about the end goal, then I think we begin to miss the point, and that's when we see things like false humility creep up, where, where we're one person in public and perhaps we're someone else in private. Or we say one thing because we know people want to hear that, but we don't quite live that the same. And, you know, we could think that's other people, but the truth is, is one of people's biggest hang-ups with the church is that it seems like we're just a bunch of hypocrites because oftentimes we're those who say one thing and do another. But the reminder to me is that God is the one who is faithful and, and that there's good news for us when we do live in that tension and it's an invitation back into faithfulness and not God kicking us out because we got it wrong once. So let me share with us what faithfulness does do. And I love the idea that Zechariah and Elizabeth walking in faithfulness every day put them into a place where they got to be used in something bigger than them in God's plans. They had, Zechariah had no idea that day he would walk into what he was going to walk into. Elizabeth had no idea that that would be the news that she would receive that day. I bet you can think back on stories of your life where maybe you were doing the right thing for God or you're doing the right thing at work or you're doing the right thing at Publix. And all of a sudden, for no reason, it seems like because you were in the right place, a great opportunity opened up before us. Remember, of course, and you know this because I just said it, we don't, we don't do it for the opportunity. But that becomes one of the side kind of rewards of faithfulness is we find that we get to be a part of what God is doing in and through the world. And it reminds us that we are those whom God remembers. So just like Elizabeth and Zechariah were those who, like us, may have felt forgotten or overlooked or out of time, or perhaps felt shamed by others because of things that they just couldn't do, it's a reminder that God remembers and that God sees, and that God is faithful. And that they were like us in another way, too, that they really had a good job and a good life. They weren't famous by any means, but they were doing really well for themselves, all things considered. And they were just going about their everyday life, kind of putting one faithful step in front of the other. And they were not chosen because of their position or because of their status or because they had all that together, but simply because of their faithfulness to God. So as we begin to live lives, or as we try to continue to live lives of faithfulness, what happens over time is we begin to build up trust. Trust. And the first thing I think, kind of, if we're thinking like levels, level one is as we live faithfully for God, we realize that we can trust God. 
that God can be trusted and that God does come through in big ways and in small ways. Over, It takes patience and it takes time and it doesn't always work out how we want, but that God can be trusted. The second level, the second thing we learn is that, surprise, God can trust us. And so we begin to see opportunities to share the good news with somebody or to reach out and help somebody else or we find God encouraging us or maybe pushing us to to help or to share a word of encouragement with this person. That's God trusting us to do the work of Jesus Christ in the world. And in those moments, I think, who am I to be a part of this? The, The third kind of thing that we learn and trust is that others begin to see that God can be trusted. People who are not following God or maybe people who had given up on the faith or who had fallen away or or just others who are not followers of Christ, they can begin to see because of our faithfulness to God that God can be trusted. And I like this idea. I like the idea that people can come to faith by seeing our faith in action. And it's not about us. It's about a testimony to who God is. Because we can't see God, but we can see others. And and so this is uh, a quote that I came across this past week um, from someone named Jim Tomberlin on a podcast. And he said, kind of to, to prove the point in the negative, that the value that church and church attendance used to have has shifted since the beginning of the century. So the beginning of the century, church attendance and church were something that were respected. If you went to church, you were respected. Uh, And for example, this was kind of a podcast for pastors. If you were a pastor, that was a position of respect in the community. And the point he was making is that no longer is church attendance seen as a positive value. It went from being something that was respected to something that is suspected. So now if you go to church, it might feel like someone says, oh, you're one of those? And maybe they already have some preconceived notions from past experiences. Church attendees used to be respected, pastors used to be respected in culture, but now we are suspected for our position as those who are part of that group. And I think this kind of proves the other side, that unfortunately the church has had a name, and it's had this for a long time, it's not just us in this generation, of being known more for what we're against and who we're against and and for the, the judgment that we often cast. And I'm afraid that we're not known for our faithfulness to God. But I'm encouraged by what I see in churches around and in the lives of, of those of us who are here because I think we're rediscovering that it's, it's about us walking a life faithfully with Christ. That becomes a testimony to others, and that becomes something that is attractive to others. And so for us, one of the best things we can do to help others come to know Jesus is simply to do our own life faithfully. It helps us to trust God. It allows God to trust us and to give us an opportunity to serve, and it becomes a witness to the world that there is a God who's out there who does remember and see. One of the biggest wins for me um, is when I hear stories from, from people like you who, when you tell me a story and you say, someone comes to you and says, you know, like, I'm not a Christian, but I've seen your life. And if that's what it means to be a Christian, I can get on board with that. Or or maybe someone comes up to you and says, um, you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus or I don't go to church or anything like that, but I see what you do and how you live or how this church supports others. And I can see that there's something real there, that there's, that's the real deal. 
You know, on Amazon, I'm always skeptical nowadays because so many of the reviews are done by, and we've got a friend who does this, are done by those that the company sends them the product, they test it out, and they write the review. So it's not really the most unbiased thing. And sometimes you can pick those reviews out. The reviews that I look for when I'm purchasing a product or that kind of thing or, or trying out a service are those who actually might be kind of on the outside of that service and say, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know that person as an individual, but I know the results of their work and it stands on its own. And to me, that's the biggest testimony we can receive as followers of, of Jesus and as the church is for those who are not a part of this to say, that's the real deal. Because what they're doing is recognizing that God does still move and work in the world. So I want to end here with this good news that when we are unfaithful, God remains consistent. If we were sharing communion together this week, some of the words that we would offer are this, when our love failed, your love remained steadfast, O God. So when we have maybe squandered our time or or our talent or our resources, when when we haven't taken the responsibility that we have at, at home or at work or in life or in church. I mean, name it for yourselves. There is a part in the communion liturgy where we say, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And that's what I love about Scripture is that even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. In 2 Timothy, it says, if we are disloyal, he remains faithful because he can't be anything else than what he is. And the second part of that good news from 1 John, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. The place to begin of walking day to day in faithfulness, I believe, is with confession. A recognition that we don't get it right and that's okay. We have days where we're Elizabeth and we have days where we're Zechariah. And no matter which one it is, there's an opportunity to confess and to change and to take the next faithful step. So I believe that one of the most impactful things we can do in our life is that everyday faithfulness. Zachariah and Elizabeth would have gone down in history as names we just didn't know. But we do, because they took one step in front of the other. So whatever the outlook of this week or this month or this year looks like for each of us, whatever challenges we're facing, remember Elizabeth and Zechariah were facing challenges too. What I want to remind us is that if we can be faithful in the little things, our home, our work, our church, our finances, our future, name what it is for yourself. To remember that those really aren't the little things, that those are the big things. We talked about this in our habit series of building habits and putting reminders in place so that we could do the things that we know God is calling us to do. But I I believe the name that, we all have different names, right? But the name that God sees us is the name of Zechariah, the one whom God remembered. And so whatever you're, you're feeling or whatever you're experiencing today, whether it's up or down or all over this, I want you to know that you are still the one whom God remembers. Consistently and faithfully, God loves us. And the reward of our faithfulness, whether we get things from it or not, is simply the presence of God with us. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.